Hey everybody, welcome to Stuff Said, the show where I, cartoonist Greg Shegel, talk to other people in the worlds of comics, cartooning, etc., etc. On today's show, I'm talking to somebody in the world of animation by the name of Derek Dryman. It is a long and windy road from my first hearing the name Derek Dryman to he and I sitting and talking for this for this episode. And then the road begins in the year 2000 where I start working at Nickelodeon. And I was talking to Scott Koblish, previous guest on this show. And I mentioned that I'm working on this property, drawing this character SpongeBob SquarePants. And he says, oh, I know a guy that works on that show. I went to school with him. Turns out that he says the name Derek Dryman. It, it doesn't register with me because maybe I saw the name on a credit. Like I said, oh, that name sounds familiar. But on the East Coast, doing the stuff I was doing, licensed character art, we had no we had no real contact with West Coast production. Some years go by, I start working on comics for Nickelodeon magazine. I'm doing tight pencils over layouts by Derek Dryman. Do I put the two pieces together? Of course not. Why why would I do such a thing? That would be ridiculous. Uh, then the show Adventure Time comes out. I see his name in the credits. And then I go, I know that name. I know that guy. I think that's the guy Scott knows. I put all the pieces together. I actually emailed Derek at that point, introduced myself. He knows me from having done the comics. We're chatting over email about stuff. Then I read this article in a magazine called Hogan's Alley, a comic strip magazine, or magazine about comics and comic strips and such. And it's an oral history of SpongeBob SquarePants. And reading that article, I learned that Derek didn't just work on this show. He was, he was a key player in the development and creation of that show. And, I, like, my mind is blown. I'm like, this guy who I've been working with tangentially for now, at that point, it would probably been 10 years because I've been drawing SpongeBob for a really long time. It was, it was a real eye-opener in terms of, I don't know. I don't know what those terms would be, but it was an eye-opener. But, but the gist of, the, of what I'm saying is I slowly, over many years, realized this guy, this guy's no joke. Anyways, it turns out when I recorded the podcast with Scott Kolbush, which I encourage you to go back and listen, it's a good one, we had lunch with Derek, and I met Derek finally for the first time between the recordings of part one and part two of the Scott Kolbush show, and then a year later, so, there was a, there was a party for Spongebob people before Comic-Con, and I got to go to that and hang out with Derek and meet Steve Hillenberg, who created Spongebob, and a bunch of the other guys that worked on the show. And it was, uh, it was a very, it was a very satisfying set of circumstances, and I'm glad I got to meet all those guys. I'm especially glad that I got to meet Derek because Derek is a great guy to talk to. He's a guy who has accomplished a great deal. He knows stuff, and it's it's a world that I'm com- not completely unfamiliar with, but 90% unfamiliar with, and I love learning about it because it's really interesting. And what he does is very interesting, and. After that long introduction, which I think, look, I think that was a fairly necessary introduction. Just so you know who this guy is and you know how I fit, how it came to be that I'm talking to him. But with that long introduction, here's uh, here's my talk with uh, Derek Dryman. One thing I've experienced in my career is I've been asked a number of times, like, so did, did you create Spongebob? Like, is that you? And I can only imagine 
Yeah, that's the first question everybody asks. So when you meet somebody, what do you tell them you do? Now or in general? Person. Or when I was working at SpongeBob? Let's just say in general. A lay person, not somebody in the business, be it Hollywood or cartooning. I, mean, I usually tell people I'm a storyboard artist or story artist. Okay. Or, or a cartoonist. You and know, then when you were on SpongeBob? I mean, when I was on SpongeBob, I was a creative director. Right. So that, you know, that title means nothing to anybody in the in the universe yeah <laughs> so yeah, it was a, it was a title that they invented on Rocco when we were doing Rocco's Modern Life when Steve Hillenburg took over when the guy who created Rocco Joe Murray he, he just wanted to exec produce on fourth season and so he didn't want to do day-to-day anymore mm-hmm. Steve bumped up and became creative director so it was kind of a title you know and this is like early cable television animation and there were the titles were very you know vague and didn't mean anything anyway you know so that came over into spongebob on that so it's really the, i was the i would work close with steve and we would i was just like his number two guy so right. so his idea was he needed somebody that could help you know just kind of carry the weight because it's producing shows just tons of stuff to do so he needed someone that could be running the show if he needed to do you know press stuff or you know whatever he could be doing writing while i could be doing storyboards or i mean a lot of times we worked together on most everything but then as the seasons went on, he was able to pull back a little bit and then I could fill in on stuff. So the role was eventually I got a title like supervising producer or something. And, and so it's really, you know, it's a showrunner right. role without that pressure of being a creator. Um, and so and now that that title is a lot of the shows that are done in this, the same way we did a lot of there are creative directors. People get that title. So it's kind of the number two guy on a show. So now you mentioned sense. that. There's a ton of things that a producer does, and I'm sure the list is very long, but in the simplest way possible, is there a way to explain what the key responsibilities of a producer are versus a creator of a show? Well, normally, the, the idea, I mean, traditionally, I should say, coming out of the early 90s, where they were doing creative-driven shows, which was kind of a response to the the um, like Little Mermaid TV show or the, the G.I. Joe. The, the yeah, the stuff the that was like driven by properties or French or existing properties, I should say, you know, toys and stuff. Yeah. This Nickelodeon's idea was you hire a filmmaker who has an idea for a uh, for show like Ren Stimpy or, you know, whatever, Doug or Rugrats, any of those things. And you hire the, the creator is the executive producer. And so, you know, which I think is probably traditional in television anyway, like the guy who creates Seinfeld is the guy who show runs it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that was the idea. So that person, in case of SpongeBob, was Steve Hillenberg, and so then he would be the executive producer. So he's responsible responsible from like soup to nuts, the whole thing. Right. And he and he's responsible to deliver X amount of episodes per his contract. Does that answer? Yeah, yeah. So I guess my question is, you as creative director, so one below from that, what would I do? How are your responsibilities different, or is it just all the same responsibilities except he? Well, he, you know, at the end of the day, he's responsible. You his know. name is on it. His name's on it. He's responsible. He's the one that signed the contract. He's responsible to the company to to deliver this stuff. He gets a staff. So he has storyboard artists and writers and a line producer, and he has all these different so people. he does the hiring of those people, or you're helping him out because you're well, your number well, two. Well, his, his job is to staff it, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so the critical role, you know, the critical positions for him are the line producer who's in charge of production. And budgets the, and all that. Budgets and scheduling and pipeline and all that business. And then you have a creative creative director who's who's supervising all the creative side and so he can go to either one hey there's a problem in production that person takes care of it there's a problem creative i take care of it right if that makes sense so yeah yeah so my job would start 
starting at the writing phase, you know, we would, you know, I'd help, you know, we work on writing outlines, storyboard, and it's all supervising. I wouldn't do any of these jobs, but we'd have a writing staff and I would be one of the supervisors. So writing, storyboarding, animatics, timing. Backgrounds. You know, I mean, we'd, we'd have an art director and that okay. person would really do day-to-day hands-on backgrounds and costumes color and right. and kind of the general look of the show we'd have a, we have a we had a person our timing director i think that's his name animation director was the title he was directly involved with the timers directly involved with hand, handling overseas animation and so i was i would be the go you know i was the person that would kind of answer their questions if they couldn't get hold of steve or like well, this is this is what we want from this scene this is this scene should be happy and there, you know, then the art director would kind of take it from there. And does that make sense? Yeah, so it's yeah, kind yeah. of like just having a number, just another person, you know, who, who could just deal with that stuff. And then I didn't have to deal, like if they never got a problem with something, you know, they would talk to Steve. And, right. And so I didn't have, that's where it differs. Like he's the one. The buck stopped with him. Yeah. So he was responsible for this stuff. So, you know, he had all the pressure of, you know, picking the voices. What stories are we doing? All that business. All right. So then going back, so what started this, the question of, so did you, and it's always asked, like, did you create SpongeBob? Because, you know, the next, if you say yes, then people are very impressed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to get. If uh, you say no, then, turn away then they're quick. just confused. Like, then yeah. what do you have to do with it? I think people don't understand the, the, the amount of people it takes to do animation. I think, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I don't think anybody understands. I'm, I don't even do the animation. Then I have to say, like, no, I have nothing to do with the show at all. But you were dramatically involved with yeah. the show from its conception like out of the gate you know the the story in the in the press is you know you were working with steve at rocco he started developing the show he shows you this doodle and the two of you are off to the races yeah i mean it was i mean that was you know and what happened was he was looking for a guy he was looking for someone that he could partner up with to because coming off of rocco steve was used to working with a partner as he would do to write the storyboards are done as teams right the writer and the board artist. well no it was the storyboard director and a storyboard artist oh, okay and so on Rocco, there were always teams. And so that's where Steve had been working with this guy, Mark O'Hare, who went on to do Citizen Dog. And um, he's a big, he's, you know, now he's over at Illumination, I think, doing Lorax and that kind of stuff. So okay. he's a big, big old. And, and Steve knew him, met him on Rocco. And when Steve moved up to creative director, I, I moved in and I was partnered with Mark. So that's how I, you know, I was. Mark and I got real close, and then that's how my working relationship with Steve came about because he was okay. our supervisor. So, as far as I know, he I, and then he was really close with another guy named Robert Skull, who I don't know if you know Robert, but he went on to New York and and did like did Little Bill and okay. um, some of the big um, backyardigans, and he kind of became a big wheel in the Nick Junior world. Okay. So, so so Steve, I think if I remember right, Steve asked Mark first, and and Mark didn't have Mark had sold a, a comic strip citizen dog. And so he was kind of, you know, that was where his mind was at that time. And Robert was moving to New York. And so I actually approached Steve and I said, you know, I'll, I would do it if you want. Steve was looking for somebody to, he wanted to hire somebody to help him develop, basically write a storyboard for SpongeBob. He had a lot of ideas. And so he was looking for someone to kind of board it with him and, okay. and kind of that back and forth. So did you did you board the, the that first pilot? Well, the, how it worked is fish? how it worked is we would. He also was working with Tim Hill, okay. uh, who was a writer who had worked on Rocco, and so Tim was helping him like shape elements of the show, and then I was helping him shape elements of the show. So his idea was let's let's storyboard 
a whole episode and we'll pitch that, you know, and then, then he can pitch that to Nickelodeon as like, you know, here's the idea for a show and here's an episode. Right. So like a pilot. Yeah, it would, would be the pilot. But he, yeah. he just thought, well, it, it'll really give him a clear idea of what the show is. You know, because when you pitch these things, it's so hard to know. Yeah, especially something like that, which is at the well, time it was a completely different beast than what they were doing. Yeah, and just it's hard, you know. Animation is is hard to pitch because like you have a couple drawings and stuff, but no one knows. I mean, no, I think pitching anything is hard. You just don't know, you know. Especially if you're trying to do something different. So we would get together after work. I would go. He was he was home. He was off work, but I would go over after work and and we would storyboard, work at his house, you know, for a couple hours a night, you know, a couple nights a week, working on what eventually became the pizza delivery episode, which we wound up using, you know, later, and yeah. we wound up using not much of what we did, but. It wound up, I think, if I remember right, a few months into it, he realized, like, this, it's not going to work. Like, it's so hard because you're trying to develop something. You're trying to write a storyboard without it being fleshed out. You know what I mean? So it's kind of, I think what he did, he kind of discovered things about the sh- about the character or problems. Kind of just, it wound up really being, most nights I would go over there and he w- he would talk about elements that he was thinking about and we would brainstorm or I would give him my opinion on things and then I would go back I would go home and then the next night I'd come over and then he would have worked farther on the things we talked about and it kind of became our the pattern of our of working together is that he he would use me as a sounding board for things and then I would kind of just give him a lot of ideas you know and you know and that's the nice thing about not being the creator is that you don't have to edit you can just I can come up with every idea I want, and then it's up to him to pick the ones that work, and it's his responsibility to look. This works, that doesn't work, and then come back and say, "Okay, this is where we're going further." And then I would give him more ideas. And that kind of worked into the, even the TV show. It's that's kind of I realized that's the that was the rhythm that we had as a, as a team. You know? It's funny when you first start describing it. It's like going to his house, and you guys would work. It's like you, you get these images out of the gate of like a like a band in a in a garage working or that you know going old school termite terrace yeah like he was, know, yeah, was works in his in his garage it was just yeah it was just a it was like a but then it's more like a therapy like more it was much more it sounds much more not to say clinical but clinical where you guys were really breaking this stuff down he steve was very it wasn't like i mean in in i think i remember will eisner i had will eisner as a teacher and he was saying it's a comic book thing there's never an accident like it's it's all planned it's all manipulation you're manipulating your audience to feel the way, you know, you know, it's like each panel, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah. it's, it's not fine art, you know, it's, it's just really planned out. And Steve was like that. He's very methodical about what he was doing. And, 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 you know, he just had the kernel of an idea and he just like kind of opening it up and opening it up. And he would always say like you, the, really the way to do it is you just come up with a lot of material and then you go through and you sift through it and then you find what's working. You know what like I mean? Scanning so for, for, uh, it's like it's editing it's writing yeah. and editing and writing and editing What's the expression and like 90 percent of, of writing is editing or rewriting something yeah it's all yeah i mean yeah. that's totally that's totally true and i here's like stuff when cliches are, like you learn that like oh that's a cliche yeah. for a reason the like, old guys are right thing. yeah no you hear that and no one wants to hear it but it's there's a really good book this book really good um did you ever read that no the the and in the art of writing by ray bradbury yeah um meriwether williams who was our story editor on the second season of Spongebob. First season, there was a bunch of ideas that we had coming from the stuff that me and Tim and Steve had all kind of worked together. Steve had this big Bible of ideas, you know, story ideas. So for first season, first 12 episodes, 12 half hours, we really pulled from that. And and most of the first season is com- comes out of the Bible. And then we got in the second season, I remember like right towards the beginning or at the end of first season, like we now we started needing to generate new ideas. 
and it was hard. And and Steve told Meriwether, "You got to figure that out. That's your job. Like your job is to figure out how to." get us to come up with ideas, <laughs> which is a real, you know, and I don't really remember it being that harsh, but that's how Mary remembers it. And, uh, and she, I could, so happened had read that book. So, so she gave, bought, bought everybody a copy of the book and we all read it. And, and it was just, you know, there's a lot of ideas in there, but, and it really wasn't the thing. One of the things I took out of it wasn't what, why she gave it to us, but what he wrote about mostly was just rewriting. Like he would, he would spend and he would do the first pass on a, on a short story. And that's day one. Day two was rewrite it. Day three, like he'd spend like eight, six days writing a book at the LA public library. You, you know that story? No. They used to be able to pay a dime. You got like so many hours. This, or, is, this is Ray Bradbury. Ray Bradbury story, okay. not my story. Now I'm, I'm pretending to be Ray Bradbury. You would put the dime in and you would type and then like, so you just feed this thing that dimes and then you would write. So that's how we would write these stories. And, but, and he would describe every day he would go back and rewrite the next one. And then by that's like draft six. So, so basically it's like, like you said, it's all, it's all editing. Yeah. And that's what I really learned from Steve was it's, it's, like when I started and, and a lot of people I knew back then, it's, it was really fun because it's like almost whatever you did, they would produce, you know, because no one knew any better. Yeah. You know? And, but Steve was really about like, no, we got to be critical, self-critical and really, you know, what is it we're trying to do? And when you're right, you know, you just kind of follow that, you know, I mean, you just kind of find stuff and yeah. then it's not, that's not the final version. You got to go back and rewrite it and really hone it down. And I don't, there's not a lot of people that I've met that are like that. Most people just want to do their first pass. And they, they, I think they think that's how Looney Tunes was done. It's like, you just do one pass and it's done. It's crazy. It's wild. And I, I, I think you look at like what, how Charlie Chaplin worked and that's, that's well documented. That guy would rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. And I mean, he would do it on set on film and, and try it again and try it again and try it again. You could, and they have docu documentaries where you can watch the evolution of these scenes and they start, they just start totally different. They kind of evolve and he finds, the comedy as he goes you know so i found boarding is really similar to that you just kind of find it and you keep looking for it and it's 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 in the rewriting because that's where the work is you know now as a boarder you know it's writing but you're writing with pictures you're cartooning essentially yeah. is the rewriting more frustrating at that point because it's not just typing and editing on a on a word processor like if you have to rewrite a scene that's boarded you have to reboard that scene yeah i don't i i mean it's i never found it I mean, it's just, that's, it's, I guess it would be like typing it. I mean, I just, it just seemed like that's how you do it. So I guess because the drawings aren't super refined. It's, it's a board. Here. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's something I learned early on. And I, and I still do that today. It's when I draw, I draw as fast as possible and I have as, I have no emotional connection to what I'm drawing. And, and I, my feeling is like the faster you draw it, the less you care about it, you know? And so that way, if I have to redraw it, well, it only took me, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. way over that hump, but I mean, I, I would recommend that to young people you know, or when you're starting, like that's, that's what I figured out. It's like, don't be precious about it. Cause you're going to probably throw it out, you know? Yeah. So I just got into that habit. And so now I draw super fast and I don't, you know what I mean? I don't care. It's just the drawing and, and you, and it's, and it's just a tool to get to your end result, which is the film. It's not even your drawing. It's about someone else drawing. It's an animation. You know what I mean? Or it's yeah, even yeah, yeah. CG. It's not even your drawing. Yeah. Anymore. Somebody you know else I mean? cleans it up. Somebody else. Yeah. It's about your idea. And, and I, that. and I just have, I don't like, I imagine if I was a script writer or I, you know, I mean, then it would be, be, it would feel like a, a, a burden to, to draw the stuff, you know, but it's like, that's, I don't know. I mean, I do write scripts a little bit, but I never feel as comfortable. I never feels done. Like when I draw and I'm writing it, then I feel like that's as close to filmmaking. I think you're going to get as a writer, you know, cause you're doing, you're, you're imagining the visual and you're doing the writing and you know what I mean? 
So now that you've done some comic book stuff with SpongeBob comics, mm. I mean, I end up doing the cleanup on a lot of that stuff. Yeah. But you started drawing your own and bringing them to finish on your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has it... well, I did that before. That's 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 how that's really how Steve and I met. Really, I mean, that's when I started. I thought I would do comics. I mean, I was doing comics years ago. So when I came back to doing, when I started doing the SpongeBob comics, Chris had asked me a couple of times to draw. And I just, I've never been comfortable drawing SpongeBob. You know, I've never been, I never. Which is funny because you were, you, you worked on it from the very beginning. Yeah. But, but I never drew it. I never drew it on model. Like, right, and, drawing and, for speed. and I never understood it. Like Steve would, Steve would draw, like show me like, this is how it has to be with the eye. And, and I would try it and I would think I would get it. And he was like, no, that's all, you know, like, and I could, I just can't, I realize like I don't have, I have a specific, I have a drawing style, yeah. you know, and I don't know guys like, like Sherm is a great example of a guy who understands how to draw, you know right. what I mean? Sherm and, yeah. Like Steve, Steve has a strong drawing style that he adapted to animation, but he's not a person, you know what I mean? Like, and so SpongeBob is his hand, you yeah. know what I mean? But he's really, he really worked really hard to make it so that other people could mimic it you know, you know he was spongebob's a pain to draw it took me two years to figure it out yeah it's hard to draw but there is a mechanic to it yes. you know what i mean and it's like once it's, you figure it out yeah and it's, it's not like like rocco was a show that was done really strong in joe's style and like if it, when the character like he didn't like certain angles because it just didn't look right and it's because of the mechanics of the character because it's all based on you know this very strong drawing style that he has you know so when steve started doing it he was really conscious of making like he wanted to make them exist in 3d space for whatever reason that's what just was what he was interested in doing and so guys like you and who live on the other side of the country could look at that and learn how to draw like mickey mouse is hard to draw but you can do it you know what i mean there's it's there's a there's a there's a there's a formula structure to all of it yeah so that was big with him and then there was so guys like sherm cohen who was our storyboard supervisor i think second season he was he's just a really strong draftsman and he under like he can look at something and and he could just he could look at cartoons like on in the newspaper and he was oh that's how they're doing it and he would he he would know they're like moving their arm or they're doing something he could decipher it you know where I never could do that I just I look in fact I was just looking at some old drawings of mine from college and I realized I have not I'm it's the same even though I've you know like you know, I've gotten my technique has gotten better I'm it's still the same you know what I mean like I'm still it's just a strong it's like a stain or something, you know? Your pedigree, if we can use that word, which is a dumb word, is you, pre-college, you went to the Joe Kubert School. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then for college, you went to SVA. I went to Kubert School out the, you know, they have like an a after high school program, like okay. a, a college. Like an associate's degree type thing? They don't give you any. No, it's like a trade school. Right. So right. I did that for a year. Okay. So I, I was, you know, during during like mostly middle school and in elementary school, I was taking Saturday classes at the Hubert School. Right. That's the same thing Scott Kobush did. Yeah, that's where I met Scott yeah. for the first time. And then when I got out of high school, I went to the Hubert School for a year, and it, and it wasn't really the right fit. So I went to SVA. And at SVA, that. you were studying cartooning or illustration? I was an illustration major. But okay. my yeah, I was an illustration major, and then by the time I was... By the time I, you know, then I, then I, they were, they have these... Disney had this internship that they would hire out of when right. you were a senior... And so I found out about that when I was in, when I was just going in. And so I was working my, I was getting a portfolio prepared for that. You know what I mean? So I was kind of thinking about that was the one job. That was the only job I had, you know, that's the only place I heard there was actually a job. So I was 
working my portfolio on that. And then, and then I was also thinking about storyboards. I had a really good friend of mine from the Kubert school moved out here out of college. You know, when he got out of Kubert school and he immediately started working as a storyboard artist in live action. So, you know, again, that was like another, oh, that's a real job. Because I went to school, they, they, they said every day, like, there's no jobs. There's no... I was about to ask. So before you knew there was the Disney internship or that there were storyboarding jobs, what were you gunning for? Well, that was that was a really great thing about the Kubrick School was they pretty much told you day one. The guy ran through the numbers. It was like 10% of us, he was saying, only 10% of you in this room will make it the three years at the Joe Kubrick School. Of those 10%, 10% of you will be working you know, when get a career like, and, and that's what I just heard over and over again. And that was specifically in comic books or just, that was just working artists, being an artist, okay. like being a working artist. And that's, you know, cause we had all these the guys that were all professionals that were working and these guys knew what was really happening. And then when I went to the, you know, so that was on my mind all the time of what, what am I going to, how am I going to earn a living? What did doing you want to do before they were drilled that into your head? When I went to college, I wasn't really sure. I mean, I, I knew, I thought illustration would, you know, illustrator comic books. I knew I wasn't a comic book guy because I couldn't draw. I wanted to draw the superhero stuff, but I just couldn't. I had the real Bigfoot kind of yeah, style. Yeah. So, I mean, I wasn't dumb. I knew that that wasn't that wasn't a reality. You know what I mean? So I was. I kind of was gearing for, and you know, and I was looking at like Peter DeSev and William Joyce and like guys who were making a career as a cartoony illustrator. You know, and I wasn't getting that at the Kubert School. I realized so when I when I went to the SVA, that was my thought. I was like, I'll illustrate kids' books or illustrate whatever. Yeah. I'll, I'll be an illustrator, yeah. Doodles for dollars. Yeah, and so that was the thought. But even that was a tough business. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have the technique yet. Maybe I would have gotten it if I stuck with it. But, I, but uh, you know, it was hard. And I was looking for a job. I, I wasn't really excited about being a freelancer, you know. I wanted, right. I liked the idea of a job. So when I heard about those, I mean, even storyboarding at the time was a freelance gig. But, um it just seemed regular. My friend was working regular. You know, he yeah. had an agent and it was like a regular gig. And movies at the time, I was really enamored of that. Animation really was like my third choice. Like, I just was not into, I did not, I was not a Disney fan. I didn't care about, that all seemed like baby stuff to me. That's you know funny. what I mean? So that's what I was doing. So I wound up, that's how I got the Will Eisner class was, I took him as my, I had him as like just my cartooning class because I was a big fan of his. And then he agreed and to let me, use him as an independent study for my thesis or whatever. I don't even know what it's yeah, yeah. called anymore, but you needed to have some, like you needed to prepare a portfolio. So you needed a teacher to help yeah, you on that. Yeah. yeah. So Will was mine and I was working on getting a storyboard portfolio together for live action. So that's kind of where I was at. Um, and I wasn't even at the time, I wasn't even really thinking about comedy. It, it just comedy was one of those things. I just didn't think it was something I could do. Like it wasn't, it didn't seem like there was any path to it. They weren't. This is long before Ren and Stimpy, so they're really yeah. like TV, like Saturday morning TV. Mighty Mouse was out, at, was had been out, and that was the super, John Kay. the John K thing, and that was super funny and really inspiring. But I just never outside of that, it was Smurfs and Snorks and yeah, yeah. and I so I never thought like it just never seemed like a reality to me that there was. T- I didn't know how they did TV. It just wasn't part of you know. Right. And then Disney and stuff like they were doing. It would have been gummy bears and wuzzles and stuff. Right? Well, yeah, or, or movies was like. The one with the Beauty and the Beast, right. you know, it's, that was just not. I mean, that wasn't out yet, but it was like Little Mermaid. I think was out before that. Like that's just nothing I thought I would be interested in, or anybody would want me. Just never thought of it, you know. Yeah. So when, so anyway, so that's what I was kind of thinking: live action and not, and then just comedy wasn't on it. So when I came out here, well, actually, but then, it, I mean, am I done? Do you want to show? 
Should I just keep going? <laughs> well, I'm about to derail you. Yeah, good. Derail me because uh, I'm just bab- babbling. I had the opportunity to take an eight-week workshop with Will Eisner uh-huh. in Florida. He oh, would, wow. He'd be oh, down yeah, in yeah, South yeah. Florida. Is that so. where you're from? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm from Miami. Yeah, he would come up every two weeks, I think. Every other week or something. Yeah, so for, for eight weeks, right out of high school, or after my first year of college, this thing was happening. I'm like, I'm, I'm going. There's oh, wow. No That's exciting. It. And it was awesome. Yeah. He was great, right? He was super he, inspiring. He's great. He was, he's like super old school, and it's all fundamentals, and know how this stuff happens. I remember yeah. the very first day. He just gave us. Was a it lecture. a big class of kids? There were maybe like thirty of us. Wow, that many? Maybe. I'm surprised that there would be that thirty people in Florida who cared about comics. It was maybe thirty of us. Yeah. I was there with like four guys I knew from high school, oh. and we'd drive out. It was like an hour away. We'd drive out. We'd have to. The assignment you had to bring in two pages every week of a story, mm-hmm. two to four, or whatever it was. Yeah, that's what he did for us too. So it was super productive. Uh-huh. Like yeah. Cranking out pages, but like day one, he taught us how printing presses worked. Offset printing. Yeah, it's all it's the the stuff from the years we were in school. I I had like a pace of a mechanical class. I had a write lettering class. It's completely antiquated. Like things, it was like working it like with croquel, like big feather pens. It was just like like totally worthless information. And now you know, but when you know the fundamentals of it, when somebody starts explaining, you know, Photoshop, it's still all based on those those rules. I guess so. I mean, you don't necessarily. I mean, kids today don't need. No, you don't need to know amber lift and all that. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I cut tons of that stuff. Or um, what was the it was the the patterns like the dot patterns that you have to oh uh, duo shade there was duo yeah. shade and then there was like zipatone yeah zipatone like you yeah. don't you never have to touch R- yeah, that stuff ridiculous anymore. yeah uh, it's like go to a museum and you see that stuff sitting there so so I guess the question is you worked with Will clearly on on a closer when you started wearing the portfolio and stuff yeah I learned I felt like I learned fundamentals and and breaking of modern habits you know 90s comics habits uh-huh. that I sort of glommed onto from reading comics. And he said, you know, don't, you know, he was very keen on panel shapes and narrative. Yeah, yeah. Like I figured out after three weeks what he wanted and I started delivering silent pages, mm-hmm. no word balloons anywhere. Right, right. And he loved it. Mm-hmm. He was like, he really started to engage and he flipped the boards over and start sketching. Yeah, the time, the, the, the thing for me with him, what clicked was when I started playing with my page layouts and I would do like panel lists borderless panels yeah board like you would just have these montage i don't know how to describe it like montages of things that and so and i remember one time i i done a three-pager it was, it was for another class but i would just bring it in to him and it was a, it was a story over three pages and he got so excited about it and he whipped out stuff he had done for gosh it was one of his books at the time that that hadn't been published yet and eventually been published but it was it was done. It was this, he goes, that's exactly what I'm doing. And he like, which was so flattering, you know, and he pulls yeah. out these pages and it was the same thing. It was like big, you know, splash pages basically. But then there was store like panels that were broken up by action or water or whatever. Yeah. It was, you know, I mean, I don't know if he was I mean, obviously wasn't calculated about it, but as a kid, it was like, it was very, it was very flattering to be talked to as someone that's almost an, not an equal, but like he was talking to me like a peer, you know what right. I mean? And Even though I was point, so far what, below. Late eighties. This would have been nah, this would have been like ninety, yeah, ninety, ninety one. So he's firmly established as the legendary Will Eisner. Oh yeah, oh, good God. Yeah, yeah so I mean, he's Will Eisner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so for me it was ninety four uh-huh. that I had this class and, and you're just like this guy I gotta say, I mean I wasn't I wasn't as I didn't know as much about comic history as I did as, right. as I do now. So I wasn't completely in awe of him. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't like it's not like I grew up if he was John Byrne, it would have been a totally different story. You know what I mean? But at the time, I mean, I knew who he was, and I and I did I did love his drawing style. But I wasn't like a kid. It wasn't like 
but you you knew enough that he was I knew to the respect guy who him. Yeah, created I mean, the graphic novel and was elevating. The, yeah, absolutely. The I mean, I, you know, you, I mean, I'd read all that fanographic stuff, but it, yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't. It wasn't like hero worship, you know. No, right. It right. was just like it, it was, was like respect, like crazy it was, respect. yeah. And and he and I could really identify. He really knew his stuff, and like yeah. when he critiqued you, it was very like you said, basic. Like, give me an establishing shot, and then when you cut in, I mean, I still think of that stuff today. Is then when you cut inside, like, how do I know where where we are, you know? And that, I'm sure you had the same. Conversation. I just gave comments to somebody the other day who showed me some pages, and I'm yeah. like, look, these pages look great, but I don't know how far apart everybody is. Yeah. So they're fighting, and I can't tell where this person came like it's all that, that yeah, i mean where stuff. what it was is and, and i'd heard that it's funny because i i i had guys like tex blaisdell and erwin hazen and uh sal amadella i mean these guys are like old school guys that like cuber and toth and all those guys were inspired by you know what yeah. i mean and, and like uh tex blaisdell was like he was hanging out with kniff and and hal foster and like he was like big you know kurt swan like he's a big time i've never even heard that name uh, yeah, I mean, he's just, you know, he's an old-time journeyman, you know, inker, you know, yeah. And and those guys all the time were saying, like, just, you can't go, you can't go around, and I still, like I said, I still think of this stuff today. You can't go around with every person that's reading your comic book and explain it. You have to be able to, it's got to be silent. you got to be able to let Tell it go. Story, yeah. yeah, and so, and it really, you know, and I, you know, I heard a lot of stuff a million times, and part of me was like, eh, what's that guy know? And then when I started working at Disney, when I had my internship at Disney, and I was, you know, finally, I'm in a situation where I'm where I'm not necessarily being taught. I'm in a situation where now they they want to see something, and you have to, you know, even though it was an internship, it was like, okay, you got to tell a story now. Okay, now you got to make a film, whatever. All those things that all those guys had told me, especially Will, because he was the most, the closest I was, you know, with any of those people. I just would hear the thing, you know, and it just all of a sudden it made sense. Like, oh, that's what he means when you know, and and I, I mean, there's a couple panels I remember drawing as a kid. That, you know, it's like they, they're good examples in my head of like, oh, that's what he means. It's like I got to exterior. It's the moon. You know what I mean? It's like a diner in the moon. And then you cut the guy walking the door and you can see the moon through the window. It's like so, you know, it's the same place right, at the same right. time. It's dumb stuff, you know, but fundamentals. Uh, yeah, fundamentals. Yeah. So it was it was super valuable. And, and I, you know, I don't know. It definitely I don't you know, I don't know if you need that stuff anymore because kids are coming out of school and they're meet. Not that you don't need fundamentals, right. but but it's it's that world of comic book guys. Are gone, you know, they're gone, and so the transition, and then transitioning from comic books into storyboarding, you know, like I don't think that's going to be happening much anymore, you know, because there's really no one's going to. School. If you're going to school for comic books, you're a complete knucklehead, right? There's no, there's no point to that, you know. It's like going to school for horseshoeing, you know, like this, this is just like a dead thing, yeah, for the most part, you know, like you don't don't go to school for that. Go, we to, don't need to go to school. I mean, I went to I went to SVA for a month and yeah. I didn't like it, so I left and I work in comic books, mm-hmm. so you don't. Like, yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, it's it's just like it's not an industry that's going to be coming back. You know, it's just an industry that's going to be gone. And well, you know, you know, I mean, it'll maybe it'll trans it'll transform into it'll there'll be some transformation. Listener, I made a sad face. Yes, <laughs> but I mean, it's it's a, it's not going to transform into. I mean, maybe it will transform into some kind of computer thing. But it's like, I, I mean, this is an opinion. Well, the refrain is print is dead. Is not yeah. Newspapers well, are dying. I mean, that's just how it is. Well, certainly on the comic strip front. But yeah, I mean, comic books. I mean, right. look at that. I mean, it's who's, no, re- it's not... who's reading them. I mean, what what the gener- It's our generation, or you know, you're a little younger yeah, than no, I am. No, but it's a like... whole. That's a whole other. Con- that's, that's so a that's whole another block. But but <laughs> anyway, I, in, I, what's my... nice though is I feel like I'm lucky that I was able to learn from these guys who were there who invented it. You know, yeah. guys of of that generation invented comic books the way we know them, and so 
I think our generation were the last that you really had direct contact with them. And like, like Kubert was a great, amazing teacher. I don't know if you ever had him. No, no. And I, you know, I just had, I would have Saturday classes with him and a couple of conversations. I never really had a, a, you know, I had left before we had my, my every day with him. And, uh, but he was, he was, he was amazing. Like he was just so psyched and into it and energized. And like, he was just a great inspiration. But I mean, those guys, he's gone now. Oh, now yeah. 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 No, they, they, they do fade. And then like the generation after them, yeah, we have like guys like Tom McFarlane. I mean, with, with, you know, well, no, no, nothing him, like, against those guys, but it's like it's just a different. That's but, illustration, you know. But it's even not, going back, I mean, John Byrne is not going to. He's you know the the reputation he has, he's not going to sit down with anybody and be that level of. Yeah, I mean, age. he would he would be yeah like he would be the guy to do that. Cause but he would never do. I mean, I don't again, really, yeah, I don't know him. Is he well, is he a jerk? That's that's the. But yeah, you would know. Or you worked at Marvel, so you know these guys. I, the basic understanding is that John Byrne is a giant jerk. Uh, that's too I, bad. I I never dealt with him directly, mm-hmm. but you certainly hear stories. I mean, a lot of those guys, and there plenty of those guys are super nice, but he is like. It might be that you know, like guys like Will and Irwin and Joe. I mean, yeah, like those guys were there. They were never. They were never. I mean, they were superstars, but by the time they became superstars, they were. Like Kirby was forty when he started working on the Marvel stuff. You yeah. know, like these are I guys said that today to somebody else. Yeah, they weren't kids. So yeah. like I'm sure Byrne hit so big, you know, you can see it in animation too. Like the guys that hit big young, you know, you, it's easy to, to for a person to get turned into a monster because you get you know, you become a rock star yeah. and you kinda of lose touch with what's happening. You know what I mean? What's really happening to everybody else and So speaking of the the rock star thing, hmm. we're gonna go back to SpongeBob. Obviously, you guys are working on SpongeBob, and you worked on it three seasons in the movie, right? Yeah. At a certain point in the run of SpongeBob, it had to—you had to notice, like, okay, this thing's taken off. Now, you may not have known it was going to last till now. Thirteen. Yeah. No. Later. You know. Well, the way it worked was it was. Like at what? Did point, you have more to say? Well, yeah. It's, <laughs> at what point for you guys did it register? Like, we we have a hit here. Well, I mean, I, does it, it ever register? It didn't really, you know, because it, it, the ratings were always good, and, and we were, you know, Nickelodeon was really big at the time about Rugrats, and they had a lot oh, yeah. going on. You That's know? when I was I started working there oh, for... in February 2000. So my first day, first meeting, we went in, and they're like, okay, this is the show SpongeBob, let's watch an episode, uh-huh. and it was the Valentine's thing. Uh-huh. And I watched this show, and everybody was obsessed with Bring It Around Town, like it was some sort of catchphrase. And I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that, they were convinced that was his catchphrase. Uh-huh. And I started watching. I thought it was a funny show, and I was I was on board. But uh-huh. it was all so new. Yeah, yeah. That I I'd never heard of it until I did my sketch test and I showed up. So well, yeah, that's the thing. It didn't. And, and you that's team working on it for a year. Yeah, we I'd worked on. It. I started working on it at ninety. I want to say ninety six. Right. That would have been when Steve and I started working on it. So you know, then it was. I think it hit the air by ninety eight, maybe or something ninety nine. I'm gonna guess ninety nine. Somewhere around there. the tenth anniversary fairly recently, mm-hmm. I guess. So the the way it worked was that we did the first three seasons and it was, you know, we're getting good reaction with the kids, the writing stuff. Didn't really I never really paid much attention to it because it doesn't really affect my day like the ratings. I was on Cat Dog and they were they were always talking about ratings and it's like it doesn't affect your day to day. Right. To me. You know, five million people watched it after it was on the after the big help and it got like these giant ratings. Like, who doesn't mean anything, you know? And but I would hear from friends kids watching it and and um you know parents like it you know but it was all kind of personal it was all friends and stuff and so i mean i i knew it was i was just happy because it was something i really enjoyed doing and you know i was in the perfect creative position on the show and i was really 
you know, working with someone I really enjoyed working with and like our whole team of people I really enjoyed, like was kind of hand, Steve handpicked all these guys and we were all coincidentally very good friends anyway. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it was just like, it was perfect. It was a perfect life, you know? And then we finished the show, you know, and, you know, but then within that, there's like real life going on. Like who's getting sick, who's, you know, like just, just normal stuff is happening. So just like normal life stuff. And then the summer we finished, and I, I always think about it like we did I did five seasons, but because we would do like twelve and then have a hiatus in twelve. But I know it's three seasons. But so it was the, it was the summer the the movie was being talked about, so we knew we were going to go up and do that. But the TV show was wrapped and finished and done. Everybody was gone, and I went home for the summer and to my parents' house, and we went down to the beach to Wildwood, and it was the same summer I think that Spider Man came out. I okay. think. Or, or maybe, maybe not. Maybe Spider-Man broke that. That would have been 2000, 2001, maybe. So maybe it was like, but I, but I walked out onto the, I walked out onto the boardwalk, which, you know, growing up, we went a million times and there were SpongeBob dolls all like all over. And that's where it was like, whoa, like this is real. Like it's not that it just broke through. Like you don't, you know what I mean? Cause yeah, it's like yeah, now yeah. it's normal people who are outside. And you were outside of the bubble of working on the show, which I imagine is. Well, just like I said, it was kind of, it felt like it was overnight and, and, but it took, it takes for TV, it takes a long time for it to really break out. Like you can have a big, you know, like there's a billion, there's a tons of shows that get great. Like Arnold gets got great ratings, you know what I mean? But it wasn't like your grandmother didn't know about it. Like not everybody and their mother knew about it. It wasn't a crossover hit. It wasn't a, you know, it didn't, it hadn't, it wasn't a breakout thing. It was just like, it was part of the culture, but it where SpongeBob, but just that summer, just it really, that was the first time I was like, wow, this is way bigger than I thought it was going to be. You know what I mean? And yeah. then, and then from there, like, then we went off and did the movie. And when we went in to do the movie, we went into Paramount and like, we were really just surging. The show was surging. So Steve had all kinds of clout working with like these big wigs at Paramount who usually don't think anything of television. So we really were left alone to do whatever we, we, when we got told many times by the, by the different executives that we don't really know what you're doing or we don't know why it's popular. We don't know how you're doing it, but just keep doing it, which was really great. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, It was really just a complete, yeah, it was, it was the perfect, it was just a perfect thing. You know what I mean? And then, yeah, the movie released and it was, you know, it was really exciting. It's just like, it always was bigger and bigger. Like that's, I always thought like we wound up, we were started in Steve's living room and then it ended at, the Chinese theater in Hollywood, you know, like we had like a limousine and we pull out and there was like these big yellow carpets going to the movie theater. It was like completely, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was, yeah. wow, that was a huge, like a, what an arc, you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of cool that, it, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a cliche, but it's kind of cool that you didn't realize it until after the fact. Cause I almost wonder if you notice it happening, if that changes the way you approach it. Well, yeah, I guess, like, you know, I, well, the big, of, big thing with that is that Steve, Remember Steve, like the day one in his, when we were in his living room, he just said, I want to do 60 and I want to be done. Like he had a really specific idea of what a television show was. And it's like, it's 60 half hours. That's all you need. No one wants any more of that. And then you're done and you just leave him wanting more. That was really his thought. And he really, you know, even when it became huge and like what, when, you know, I mean, this, this is all stuff. These are his stories to tell, but like, remember when they were talking about develop, when he was sold it and. They, they made the pilot and they liked it and it tested well. And then he was brought out to dinner with a couple of the big guys and they offered him, he said, well, we want to strip it, which means it's really important to the studio. We want to do, we want to strip it. That means we want to show it every night, five days a week. And right. it's going to be our flagship thing. And, he's, and he turned it, and, and I'm sure they offered him a ton of money. And he's like, I don't want that. I just want, I want a regular schedule. 
I just, you know, because he knew it's a, it's a, he would kill you, and you would never be able to have the control of it. Yeah. Creatively, you know, he wanted that was a big thing. Making it was what he wanted to do. It was not cashing in on it. it it's like, such a singular, like such a singular kind of vision and approach. Yeah, I, well, to... and I think that's that's what I was saying before. Like he's very methodical, and like he likes to make stuff. And it's like it's it's the making of it which is enjoyable, you know. And that is the fun part. It's like writing and boarding and storyboarding and, and and animatics and recording, like all those elements. It's fun, you know. I mean, it's it's hard. It's work. It's you know. But those are that's the fun part. When you finish with it, you're done. I mean, you just send it off and they they put it on underwear. So like you know what, yeah. you know what I mean? Like once you, once we were done, you never watch it again. And it's just it's on TV. Like it's just it's just not part of your life. But is it compared to I've heard people talk about other shows you know I've, I've heard people talk about working on phineas and you know knowing that that show is a, a huge show like people are gunning to write a song to get on that show because every time they play that song you get a resist like having yeah that i mean kind of that, that, i mean that's everybody's got their own personal take on it but like i never I, that stuff i feel you know like one thing people do a lot is like they come they you know they write voices for themselves they give themselves right, right. parts you know and i just and it's all for the money you yeah know i mean and i just thought it's in a town of actors who are fantastic you're gonna you're gonna give yourself the void the part and it's like yeah. you're not that's not what's best for the show that's not what's best for the story you're telling it's best for you and you're you know you're right you get to write as listen you write a song no doubt i mean it's exciting and you know i've written you know like i i got a credit on the spongebob theme song which is which is great you know it's yeah. a nice credit to have and I get awards. For, I've gotten a couple of awards for you know it's ridiculous. But, but you didn't know going in that that's what you were. Setting no, up but I mean it's you know it's exciting. It's flattering, sure. and you know it's like it, it. All those things are always flattering. I mean, you when you get a like I got a voice on something on Dream, at DreamWorks, and it's like yeah, it's very flattering, and, and you know to get the check, you know of course it's very nice to get the sure. check, you know. But I, I, I just get, I don't know. I just kind of turned off when people do that, you know, or when they're gunning for that. And I know people on Phineas, and I know people on these shows that are big. And there's one guy I knew on a show, not on Phineas, but his show became popular and big and like, he's just like, he starts strutting around and you know what I mean? Like, and I just thought it's so stupid, you know, like he was, he, he wrote, he was the same guy wrote something on, I think it was Phineas or something. And it, and it, the ratings were through the roof and he was, he was so proud. He like blogged everybody like my big, I got these many ratings. And he's just like, it's not about you. It's about the, it's like they're advertising it. And like they put, they put it behind the big help and it got gigantic, right? No one's tuning in because, Joe Blow wrote it. You know right. what I mean? No one even knows. You know what I mean? Like no one knows who you are. No one knows who any of us are. You mentioned when you were working on SpongeBob, how it was this perfect position. You were in the perfect position. Yeah. But somebody would say, in, in a grass is always greener kind of perspective, like wouldn't you want to create your own show? Wouldn't you want to have it say created by Derek Dryman? Did you ever have that? Yeah. Well, after SpongeBob, like was... I know you you had something you were there was something called Danger Planet. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, before that, I I did a pilot for Nickelodeon. So when the movie was over, or before the movie started, I made a deal with Nickelodeon to develop something with with who, the guys that were running it at the time. And so when the movie was over, I went off to develop something, and it was you know that's exciting and fun. And but yeah, it's different. You know, like being a creator, it's like a totally different world. And you know, and I did it. You know, and it wasn't looking back on it. And then I wound up going to Cartoon Network, and I did a couple pilots for them. They actually finished the digs. Taylor a pilot for them and then I did two other ones as part of this shorts program and it's like you got to have the right idea at the right time you know what I mean and this thing's like never I never really had the right idea and I knew it you know right. and I think I think my strengths I think my strengths are as the number two guy like I, I know I'm really strong at that like I can you tell me where to go and I can 
I can really get a team to do it and right. I can really do that. But to be the, to be the person behind, you know, with the idea, like I don't really have that. It's really not something that gnaws at me or it never really did like have the this idea of like, I've got, so when I did it, it was kind of like, well, that seems like the thing to do. Cause that's like the, the next stage. You know what I mean? Yeah. But even while I was doing it, I just always felt odd and like, I just never was completely comfortable with it. Which could be insecure, you know, which is insecurity. There's there's all those other things that go along with it. But, yeah. uh, you know, not, I've never really done a lot of analysis, self-analysis as to why that is. But, like, I've just never been – but it's not to say, like, I do have ideas and I, I you know, you start jotting things down and, and and coming up with stuff. And maybe one day that will happen. But it's definitely not – I'm definitely over that – like I've got to be a creator of my the own ego thing. thing has faded. Yeah, it really is. After I mean, the nice thing about SpongeBob was it 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 gave me that to to a big degree. You know, like I don't I don't feel like I now I know I'm right. You know, like when I go when I get notes on, you know, like when I'm working on different places and I and 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 I get in disagreements with people about what's funny or what's working or what's not. It's like I know I have the confidence. I know I'm right now. Yeah. So. I don't even fight about it. It's like, okay, we'll do what you want. I don't care. Like, well, let's try it. And, and I don't mind. Like, what's the worst that can happen? It's it's right. It's wrong. And, you know, really, I mean, even if they go through and it's not as funny as I thought it could be, I mean, what, what do I care at this point? You know, it's like I – it's almost like I just know – I know. You know what I mean? Does it make sense? It makes some sense. I don't, yeah. I don't have this drive that I have to be – I have to show you and I have to make it and I have to put it out there. It's almost like a mature person. Yeah, almost. <laughs> So despite our shared history with SpongeBob, mm-hmm. and it's not really shared, we were working in de- different coasts and different universes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I was doing the licensing stuff, and you were producing a TV show. What really, dare I say, brought us together, if I can use that expression, was I was watching Adventure Time. I saw your name in the credits, and I had been drawing SpongeBob comics over your layouts. We'd never spoken. We'd never exchanged. Oh, yeah, right, thing. right. So I fired off an email to you saying, like, Adventure Time's amazing. Mm-hmm. This was, it was maybe like four episodes in. Yeah, yeah. I like, do now remember that. Yeah. I'm like, this show's unreal. I love it. The only other show I liked as much was Chowder, which mm-hmm. sadly didn't didn't go. But that was a SpongeBob guy, C.H. Bleem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That well, that went. I mean, they did four or five seasons of that. I think but it didn't it didn't blow up. <laughs> you want a show that's so good? You, that's well, you care. You got to enjoy it. I mean, yeah, yeah. No, whether it got big or not, who most cares? shows I like get canceled, so it's fine. Yeah, I mean, but sixty five is normal. Like that's right. not a yeah, cancel. Yeah. That's just that's normal. That's a show that gets syndicated. That's it. Like, yeah. if you get to 65, you've done it. Like, yeah, yeah. But if you, you know, SpongeBob or Robert, they go to 100. Arnold, they go to 100. I mean, who needs that? But yeah. I don't know if it's, is, is it any better? I don't know. I, nor I. But I emailed you about Adventure Time. You were kind of saying, email Penn, let him know. And I exchanged a couple emails with him. But then we started talking back and forth. And now, now I'm here. Now you're at my house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you left Adventure Time. Yeah. You were there for the first season uh-huh. and then checked out. What happened? Well, not. A, I, I want to ask it a better. There's a better way to ask the question than what happened. I mean, obviously you. Well, nothing you, happened. I, mean, I can tell you the story. I mean, I imagine it was a. It was a stress you didn't want to deal with. You'd done this before. Well, what happened was, I and, and, and I didn't leave Adventure Time. I just agreed to do first season. That was always in my okay. head. That was the plan. And I know they were. They had asked me to stay or whatever. But so what happened was, I had been doing those shorts, and I had a good reputation with the with the company. They liked the shorts that I had done. They just weren't sure what they just weren't really clicking for those for the guy, but one of actually Danger Planet they liked and they were thinking about it. But Adventure Time was happening and they were they had maybe twelve boards drawn. Like the, the show was grinding to a halt because, and I think the problem was the guys. Well, I know the problem. The problem was the guys who were the the creator and his core group of guys were very young, had never produced a show before, 
and then the executives at Cartoon Network were it was a whole new it was a whole new group of people. And so it was just a bunch of people that were kind of new and didn't really know, you know, the executives wanted this thing to be great because it was their first thing out of the gate and our and the and the creative guys wanted it to be great because it was their, you know, what I mean that kind of thing. And then I had a couple really good friends working on it, and so the rumor was it was going to get canceled. And so I think Craig had looked at it. Craig knew those guys. That Craig McCracken. Craig McCracken. Okay. And so that I, you know, and I Nick Nick Jennings, who was the art director on SpongeBob, was was the art director on on Adventure Time. Okay. And he was telling me all about it, and it sounded like a really great show. And and but I could kind of understand what where the problems were. So anyway, they asked me one week, and they said, "Would you would you look at it?" You know, so they gave me a storyboard, and I ran through it. I'm like, "Yes, yeah, this, this is great. You just have to, you know, just a couple things you need to do, and this this thing would be ready to go." You know, and so I sat with the creators, the creator and the guys, and like just suggested the cuts and what you should do. And I don't know. I mean, now I can't remember the details of it, but we kind of worked on it a little bit. It was fine. We, we, those guys were nice. They got along with me. And so then they offered me the job. The Cartoon Network had offered me the job and it really wasn't anything I wanted. I didn't want to do it because like I said, I, I it just, I didn't, I didn't want the role of being dad, you know, sure. I didn't want the role of being like the, the old man with the wisdom. I wanted like over DreamWorks when I worked there, I'm, you know, DreamWorks is, is a more conservative kind of place. So, cause it's movies, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, when I worked there, I'm they hired me to be the funny guy and I can write stuff. And the TV, TV's a much younger world, and so I'm the old guy. Like, no, they don't want my jokes in TV because I'm too old, I guess. So, I, so anyway, that's not a role I wanted. So, but I knew there wasn't much to do to get the thing going, and I just felt like, wow, I'd hate, I'd hate for it to get canceled because it's so close, and I would hate for my friends to lose their jobs. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just I just thought well I'll, I'll just help him first season and I'll just get the thing going and rolling and and that's what we did I, I got I went in there and I just helped them kind of write and they out of the twelve storyboards I think we like half of them were save you know we could save them and it was really like just cutting and tweaking and just saying okay write this bit here and write that bit there and Penn and I clicked you know it, it was it was you know he's a very nice guy and funny guy and and so I, so I think we clicked I mean I know he was. I think I was thrown at him, and and he really didn't have a choice. I think it was told him like either you listen to him or it's over. So I mean, there was definitely some prickly yeah, there's tension there, some tension. But um, like a stepdad showing up. Yeah, it's kind of like that. But I, you know, I I I was aware, and I said I was in their place. I mean, I was twenty eight or twenty nine when SpongeBob started, so I I, right. I knew it. Like I knew what I knew what they were doing, and I knew their feelings, and like I knew they they look, you know, they were all very respectful to me because of what I had done. Sure. And so there was that level of respect. But then there was also the uh, the layer of like, you know, but we want to do our thing. Like you yeah. did your thing, we want to do our thing. So I was really careful of like, I don't care what you do, but you need to do these things. You need to accomplish X, Y, and Z. And if you, I don't care what you do, I like, I need a scene here that, that tells me what this character's thinking. I don't care what he's thinking. I don't right. care how you do it. And I think once Pan and the guys realized that that's what I was doing it it just became real easy and so they would they would really listen to and then it, on the on the executive side for them I just would pitch these things and they were and they I mean I didn't pitch them but but Penn would pitch them and they just wanted them to work you know and and so you know the guy that was running the place at the time or still is this guy searcher Bob searcher he just wanted it funny you know and 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 you know we you know we we all butted heads on different things like we normally do yeah. but it was fine it was just the problem was i mean so so i didn't leave the show it was just i agreed i'll do a season and then when we got to the end of the season the studio was very nervous 
that they were going to fall back to where they were. But I could tell Penn knew what he was doing. His guys really knew what they were doing. Mm -hmm. They didn't need me anymore. And and it, it, it was rocky when I left for a little bit, but it wound up being fine. I mean, they're, they're, you know what I mean? And, it's and adventure time now. Yeah. It's adventure time. They've, they've gone on. They've had, you know, it seems like the show's doing really well and yeah. they, they're still good. I still like it. Yeah. It's cooking along and, and you know, I, there wasn't much more to do. We, so it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't leave it a huff or anything. But we can say were it not for you, it wouldn't, it would, it would have died on the vine. Yes, we have to say that. No, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I think it was just was in a, it was just stuck. You know, it was just, yeah. it was just kind of a bad situation. And, and Rob's idea was, you know, and that's how secret secret Fort Mount Awesome that was called. Yeah, that one I couldn't get behind. I but tried. but I mean, that was the same thing where there was a new a young creator and they brought in a guy like me and they teamed them up. Right. You know what I mean? And that's that's regular show was the same idea, but the young guy who was running regular show had really had a lot of experience because he was on flapjack. So he didn't, he really didn't need anybody. Right. So Chris Riccardi was work doing that. And, you know, he, you know, he realized early on it wasn't necessary. So he left and um, he went over to help him. And, and anyway, so that's what, that's kind of their, their model. They get these really young guys. Like there's a new show over there. Like he's like 23 or something. And, and so they, they're trying to get some more experienced guy to help him out. And, you know, it seems like a good, if you want that role, it's good. I just, right. for me, it's like, and, you know, and some people love it. Like that's a role like Rob Renzetti is a good example of that where and Rob's had his own show, you know, and, and he's my age and he's, he's done a ton of stuff. And so he, that's perfect for him. He, he loves, loves television. He's doing gravity falls, I think. And he's again, like ego wise, like he's done a show. He doesn't need to do another right. show. He doesn't have that need. Like I still have the ego that I do want to be funny. I still do want to write, you know what I mean? That's what I enjoy doing. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of what you find you enjoy doing. You know what I mean? So did you, in your roles as producing and that sort of thing, without being the show creator, how involved were you with staffing up a show? Like, were you hiring board guys or were you dealing with them once they were hired? This leading to the on question. On Adventure Time? On any of them. This yeah. Leading, well, this leading to the question of how do you evaluate a storyboard portfolio? What does it even look like if you well, were doing that? Yeah. So, yeah, I was doing that. Okay. I mean, I was definitely, I was definitely like, had a big part in finding and hiring people. You know, like, for on SpongeBob... I had worked at Nickelodeon for a bunch of years between Rocco and, and SpongeBob, so I knew a bunch of people. And was that when you worked on Action League Now, or was it, that before that? No, it was kind of during that time. But Action League Now was a different story. But that oh, was that's a crazy show. That was a really good, show, really fun show. But that was like completely freelance. That wasn't in house. Okay. It was it was its own thing. But like I worked in Hey Arnold and Cat Dog, and you know, and I knew like I just knew guys from the studio, so yeah. I was able to like say, "Well, this guy would be good." And really, what we what we would look for on SpongeBob and even at Adventure Time was like. Do you have any writing experience? I don't really even care how you draw. It's just, you know, what in portfolios I want to see was like, give me your comics, give me your comic strips, give me films. Like, let's look at that stuff. And I, I don't want to see clean, you know, if I was hiring a revision artist, I would want to see a, a revision artist would, would have to be, you know, clean drawings, but, or nice drawings. But, right. but, uh, you know, like Aaron Springer, who was a big writer, a storybook writer for us on SpongeBob, he, he, you know, he had a whole portfolio, he had a couple films that were great and he had a, he had a really great reputation, and then he brought in a bunch of comics that he had done that were just drawn on like loose leaf piece of paper. And, and you know, you said, "Oh, this guy's super fun." And Kent Osborne, Osborne was the same way. He he just get, showed up with this comic book that he had done, like hand drawn. He and he was he was a writer. He was and he would just draw stick figures. Wow. So he came on. I just you know he remember, he reminded me of this. I, I forgot about. It, but we'll draw SpongeBob. He's jumped SpongeBob's a square. Patrick's a triangle, and Squidward's a circle with a line. And like, and then just do that, and then we'll have someone else do the finals on it. But right. like, just because he was so funny, you know. So it's you know, and then Adventure Time, 
the problem was they had staffed up one of the problems with the show is they, they had staffed up i don't know who did the hiring they hired all these guys that just were not right for it they were illustrators or they were storyboard artists but they weren't storyboard writers so right. we had to get when i came on i had to get rid of a bunch of guys that was really hard so, you know just we, we had like let a bunch of guys go and then we just went up hiring people in that situation i would just you know i would let pen decide you know he would look at same thing, store comics and internet stuff. And, and he'd come in as like, I want to hire this guy. And, you know, I, we give him a test, you know, and try. And, and I, I was, tr- I tried to be really, as long as that guy was kind of funny, I would let Penn have him. <laughs> I mean, it was, that was a little harder, you know, because. What's the nature of a test? Like, is it just, here's a scene bored yeah, out? Yeah, we'd okay. give like a paragraph or something and then just like come up with ideas based on the scene you know right and so we didn't see what they do with it gags and jokes gags, and visual yeah things. dialogue and you just get a sense of their sensibility mm-hmm. like is this guy visual is this guy is it like every show is different but do they have elements of what we're, what we're looking for and it's specifically for a board driven show yeah so yeah absolutely boards, as yeah if it's to... a script driven show it's a completely yeah. different story right right i was curious about that because that that really storyboards and comics which is what i mostly do is that's where the bridge is yeah, like we hired we hired Kaz, you know Kaz, yeah, yeah. Um, super funny. Steve was a longtime fan of Kaz's, and going into fourth season, like all like Aaron, a bunch of and uh, Walt, I think, and some of the guys that were really were leaning on were leaving, and so we needed some new blood, and we didn't know anybody in the comic in the in the animation world anymore. So there were Kaz and Sam Henderson. Yeah, so that's where like I knew you know Steve knew Kaz. And then knew of Kaz, you know, I mean, I knew him too, but, and then I knew of Sam from school right? and I knew his comics and stuff. So we just reached, you know, Tony Millionaire was another guy we reached out to and Kaz and Sam both responded and we brought him in and it was great. You know, Kaz was, Kaz especially turned out to be really just perfect for it. And he's still doing it. Like he found, he found his groove. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He was. He went up going. Yeah, he's been working on a bunch of stuff and yeah, he he was great. And, And Sam was really great too. You know, he just... You know, I'm not. Sure. You know, he went up after us because they came on kind of towards the end, so they they didn't weren't on there for a million years. But Sam, I think, went on to Camp Laszlo and stuff. And I kind of lost touch with my. I'd heard he moved back, but um, moved back to back east. east. Yeah, but uh, yeah, those guys are funny. It's like you know, it's really like I don't care. How you draw. It's like, are you right. funny? And can you can you kind of work in the sensibility that we're doing? I've never done it. It sounds like a super fun job. Like you just it's making up stories and yeah. I mean, you know, it's being, I, it's being a cartoonist without having to. Be a, a refined uh, cartoonist. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, I mean, there's technical stuff you have to know, and and I mean, Timing I would say, yeah, and, and you know, you gotta, you know, it's storyboarding. I'm not stuff, way, you know. I'm not asking for a job. No, I'm I don't just, have a job I'm to just, give you. I'm just admiring the. Well, the, no, the, I guess what I'm thinking about is like, you know, it's a it's a creative job. You yeah. know what I mean? I, fun is a is a tough word, you know, because it's like yeah, maybe and, I used the wrong word. It day to day, it's a job. You yeah. know what I mean? So so there were many, you know, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of pressure. You know, like you know, storyboarding is a really hard job because yeah, the board guys I know, it's it's a lot of drawing and redrawing. I mean, yeah. it's like we talked about earlier, like the, the writing, writing and is rewriting. And rewriting so yeah, drawing. it's hard. So you gotta you just gotta re, you gotta really be into it. You yeah, know? and I tell people like, there's no rush. You know, there's no like when you're ready, you can. I remember like uh, Carl, we were talking about Carl, like yeah. he was. Greenblatt, we got him. He, he was a revisionist on our show, and you know he was just like pining to be a bar, like just it just was eating him alive. He right. was so, he wanted to be a storyboard artist so bad, and you know if we would have put him in there too early, he would have blew up. You know, and because he he showed up, he could barely draw perspective. Like he was, he, you know, storyboarding skills are really low. I mean, he just he knew how to draw, and he could. And we read his comic strips, and there was like, okay, this guy's got a sense of humor. 
and we would we would hire a revisionist the same way. Like let's hire revisionists who have made films who want to be funny, who maybe just aren't there yet, but we can see potential. And out of our original three revisionists, Carl and this guy Bill Reese, they've they've gone on to big success doing that kind of work. And mm. um, but yeah, like I, I would tell Carl, it's like man, there's there's no like. I'm doing you a favor by not putting it in yet. Like you don't want to be because if you're in there too early, it's really hard. You know, like if you're struggling with just the basics of telling a story, and you you know what I mean, like then you're screwed. You know, like you got to you got to you got to really understand your storyboarding skill. You have to have your storyboarding skills down before you get into learning how to be a writer too. And I mean, which goes against like Ken Ken was Osborne was just a good writer, and he was such a strong writer that you know he didn't even need any storyboard skills because we could. We we were built in a way that we could we could we could do that with one team. One team yeah. didn't have to do their final cleanups. We'd, we'd have people doing that for them. But anyway, I mean, it's, it's not. A, I always tell people it's not. A, it's not a position to rush into. It's a position you want to really be ready for, which is an old man talking. Right? Speaking of old men talking, in the times we've talked about this sort of thing, cartooning, just as you know, making comics, comic strips, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you tend to reference, and you're not the only one. Sherm does it. Even even uh, Tom Kenny, whose voice is SpongeBob, Dick, you guys talk about comics that are even before your time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you were telling me about this Captain Easy collection that you yeah. were like, this stuff's amazing. And that's yeah. so, I mean, it's before all, no matter how many generations you're, I yeah. think you're one generation above me. I think it's a 10 year difference. Yeah. Didn't that much. You're still reading all the same comics and seeing the same cartoons, but you're going back. And you, earlier you mentioned Charlie Chaplin. And, yeah. Like, you, don't, you, you don't read that stuff. That's not your thing. I, it's not, I'm not against it. But you're not attracted to it. Uh, some of it I am. Some of it I'm not. You know, I'm I'm constantly trying to keep up with what's happening, yeah, but yeah. I don't always go back. I don't, I don't know, and I don't know if that comes well, from me not going to art school and I, not being part no. Of art history. I don't mean because I do I do find that with with the guys that are younger. I I think it might have something to do with growing up in the '70s and tell the television we had in the '70s and and Sherman and and Tom are ten years older than I am. You know, in the ballpark right, of right. that. But when we were growing up, it was all it was like. The television was Little Rascals and Warner Brothers cartoons and Abbott and Costello, and it was stuff that was made in the forties and fifties, if not earlier, you know, thirties right. for the for Little Rascals. So I think, you know, I think we were when I was growing up, kids, you know, watching television, they were driving cars that you had to crank, and they were talking on phones that were like the two piece kind, like. The kids today don't know what that is, and even yeah. probably your age. No, I, I definitely, definitely watched Little Rascals because I know that, and I certainly watched. You know, I I do remember Laurel and Hardy yeah, yeah. as a little kid like, scratching my head. Yeah, I mean that was like that was just a that was just your that was what you watched like when that, you came home Saturday night. So right. so I think I that think, didn't imprint on me as much as the '60s Batman show did. Yeah, like to me the '60s Batman, which I know a lot of people liked it. Like I, well, I mean I don't know what I don't. I, it's hard to know why those right. things, but I think that might be the reason why people my generation were you know like I, when i so when i look at captain easy these are things i've seen before like it's almost like this is my even though obviously i didn't grow up with this yeah, stuff yeah. like when they're when they're cranking cars and they're talking about world war one and world war two like these are things that i grew up and it was just part of my saturday it was part of my every day after school you know what i mean so is it is it more comfort food than like is it is it a thing where it's, it's just like a the kind Do of i really like it is no, that no, no 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 it's not that is it is a thing where it's like this is you appreciate it as an entertainment and that's, and you read it and you love it. Or are you seeing it past that and looking at what they're doing as a cartoonist with their limited tools and, and inventing the form and that, that kind of thing? Well, I mean, we, you know, you were, you were said it before. It's like you use magic markers, which is different, but it's like, really it's the same tools that like, we're using the same tools that Roy Crane used in the thirties, you know? Right. So 
the tools haven't changed. So it's not like we have all these more advanced techniques than they did. It's all the same. Yeah, still a brush or a nib. Yeah, or... but I look at those comics and they're be like the Roy Crane stuff is just it's so much fun. Like I just and I love the drawing on that level. Like just I can just look at the drawings and really be and really enjoy it. But I do like the characters. I just I like I like reading the stories, the Hal Foster stuff, the 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 Prince Valiant stuff. You know, like those blow me away. And 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 the stories are really fun and and riveting. And you know the the Popeye Sunday pages I yeah. love, and I can just read through those. And I mean I have, I obviously am you know drawn to some other than others but i do think they're i mean i can't say they're better or worse i just really like them but i do you know actually just recently over the past year i started reading new new comics again which i haven't done in since college you know like how did, some, and how disappointed are you no i love it oh man. really oh god yeah the the there's a guy at work who just he's got this huge collection at work and he just always started loaning me out so i read you know why the next man and last man Last Man, whatever the hell it is. Last Man, yeah. And, no, that uh, book is tremendous. Yeah, and like The Boys. I just finished reading The Boys. That I never read. And Ed, all the Ed Brubaker stuff. And you know, anyway, so like it's just that. All that stuff's brand new, you know, yeah. and then you just get these. I just read um, King City. You know that one by – I know it. I haven't read Brandon, Brandon Graham. Something or other. Yeah, that was really fun, you know. And so reading that stuff, it's it's it, that's it's like now I feel like a kid again reading comics because there's so much you know now i'm going through i'm like oh i read probably read preacher like that was really great this is all stuff that's long gone you know yeah yeah and what happened to me was after after 80 set five or 86 after watchmen everything felt like watchmen everything felt like alan moore or, or frank miller yeah. and like all like i never got into the neil gaiman stuff like and everything after for every time i try to read something i just think oh this is this is alan moore this is the this is like a take on that so i just gave up yeah. And then so when I've come back to it, now when I read The Boys or I read, you know, The Why, like these don't feel like Alan Moore. They just feel like something totally different to me. So so it's been great, you know. And, Maybe. I, you know, I don't know if they're better. I mean, you know, the artwork's like artwork on Preacher was really fantastic. Why was really, you know, I thought it was really good. Yeah. Preacher, yeah, Preacher was really great. Uh, boys, some of the boys stuff was, you know, hit and miss, but it, it was, you know, it's fine. I don't, the thing, I don't even care. It could be crummy. You know, crummy artwork. As long as it's, it's the stories are good. You know? Yeah, yeah. As long as you're engaged as yeah. a reader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, and then, as but I still read the old stuff. Like I just bought, I just bought that Richard Corbin, you know, creepy right collection, which I guess isn't all that old, but um, I mean, it's old enough. It's old enough, but I mean, it's not like it's not like Roy Crane. But like today, I went, I went by and I saw the they put out the new Hal Foster book. You know, it's hardcover, and I'm like, ah, I already have it in the soft cover. I'm like, ah, should I buy it? It's <laughs> so beautiful. You know? Have you seen these these things called artist editions? Those those giant things, the big eleven by seven. I would things. do. I mean, that's insane. Where, where are you going to where are you going to store that? That's I don't know. I, I've only bought one. I got the you Joe, bought one. I got the Joe Kubert Tarzan. Oh, I didn't even see that one. It's, that must be amazing. I mean, I barely had a chance to crack it open. Yeah. But you just like open to the first page. It's like he's so brushy and beautiful. Gosh, I didn't even know that existed. I, I, like, how much was that? It was like forty bucks. Or 75, 75 bucks. bucks. I saw the Gil Kane one, and now they have a Mad Magazine one. Yeah. And, Mad Magazine. And, I mean, out. the Mad one makes sense because it was like the Wally Wood stuff is so tiny. When you see it printed, you like, can't even see big. It's like, oh, I see what he's doing. Yeah, so sometimes it's really nice too. As much as I can. But where be are a... you going to put that? I mean, I I don't have the room. Where am I going to put right now, a book that's the size of a table? Right now, it's on a table. Yeah, I mean, who can do that? I don't. I just... But they did that. They put out like little Nemo, like giant size yeah. little Nemo, and I was like, I had it in my hands, and I'm like walking to the the, the cashier. So I'm like, what am I doing? Like, DC Marvel put out these omnibus, these huge. Oh yeah, yeah, oversized hardcovers. I'm like, I can't. I don't want to. I don't ever want to read that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's not something to read. At least this 
these art books are art books. You're you not going to sit. At, yeah. You just look at it and then put it away. The, the Cuber one would be great. One big memory for me was when I went to my had my interview at the Joe Cuber School. Joe does the interview with everybody, I guess. And behind him at his at his drawing table or whatever was this gigantic poster, hand drawn of Tarzan. Like, I mean, I remember it being as big as the door, which I can't imagine it is. But it was this gigantic thing of like it looked like he did it with a paint like a yeah. house brush, you know, house painting brush. Beautiful stuff. So that that's like that's primo. I only really, sadly, like in the past two years, started to, to sort of take in Joe Kubert stuff. Uh-huh. I don't know why it took me so long. And it was funny because I was reading more of his modern, more recent stuff. Which it's, is great. I mean, his he's, incredible. His stuff was good all that the way to book, the end. Yassel, I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, Yassel, I know it. I haven't seen it. I'm getting now like uh, the Joe Kubert Presents stuff. Yeah. And yeah, it's like he, he, he's great. It's even not, the even Yassel the inking he was doing on the Watchmen Return stuff right, or whatever, which I hate to admit I buy, but I bought. I bought this there's and like yeah over sun like wow but this yasso book it's all pencils oh, yeah, 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 yeah. and it's just like the noodling and everything it's yeah. so it's so cool I, i've seen the guy draw like he he's was really something i've only seen it on youtube have oh him draw but, but you know scott kolbush describes it where it's just like the hand his hand drops and things just start existing you know, I remember him being like like sketchy you know like which obviously right. and he kind of builds it it's very bridgman okay. and all those guys yeah. Which is very Eisner, you know, like all those guys. Bridgman was big, and yeah. and one thing I re- one as thing- opposed to like a John Romita who sort of built his figures different. Like he he was so he's almost like a cleanup guy. I don't yeah I don't know I don't know John Romita stuff, but like Basema, like like I love him. Like that's he's total okay. Bridgman. I yeah, think, yeah. and all those guys went to there was a really famous art school in New York that they, that Bridgman taught at, and they all went to him, and they and. The one thing I, you know, years later, I realized that the disconnect that happened between that generation and my generation was for some reason, I don't even know why, there was some, gosh, what the hell was it now I'm thinking about? It. There was something to do with, he. Th- there was no, there wasn't really that continuation, I guess. There was a teacher at the Kubert School, this guy, Ben Ruiz, and he would teach that Bridgman's kind of style. But but they, it was funny, like they were saying Bridgman is later like come later but but like, we never got to it like it was always like boxes and tubes and like never you know i wasn't maybe not there long enough and i'm just thinking that's my break not the break between my generation and them it's it's but it was weird like you're that, the voice of your generation i am the voice of my generation that's yeah, a really hoarse lame voice but anyway bridgman i think was something that for some reason it doesn't seem talked about much but it seems like he is the guy that really influenced all those comic book guys and you can see his you know, Eisner looks like a Bridgman trace almost like it really infected all those guys. And it's, it's interesting, like one guy, one thought process really created this whole school of, of art. You know? Although I guess an argument he made that, that Buscema was, was Bridgman with like an injection of Kirby to turn into. I mean, not all those guys copied him. Right, no, no, I'm not saying copying. I'm saying where it's the, it's the blockiness and it's the it's the forms and the shapes that. Bridgman taught about which I don't know who else was doing that. Well, there's that, and just the the nature of, of how they were drawing. You know, there's there's that noodly sort of drawing where you you sort of noodle around until the form until the, the figure takes form. But but I think they're they're they always I mean those old guys always would talk about building the figure out of blocks and tubes and yeah. circles and just all these basic shapes. And when you see the Bridgman stuff, you can see like all these things flat, round, flat like it. You know, the way this would go into here, like it was all really like blocky and when and and you can see when they draw like oh yeah that's that's how they think that's how you know they got it to the point where they weren't even 
thinking about it anymore. But like they, their figures, like Eisen's a great example. Like they just feel, they feel like they're made. It doesn't feel like well, it's like a sculpture. They start with an armature and build out. Yeah, from it's that it's thing. like it's not contour line. It's not they're not drawing they're not drawing the outside of the yeah. line. So how are you drawing when you draw? Um, I mean, granted, you're doing Bigfoot cartoony style, but yeah, no, I'm not. I don't have the. I don't have that knowledge of structure that those guys have, you know, like I, I, I just don't, you know, like I kept saying before, like my stuff is so, I'm so stylized. It, like I have this personal, I, I just don't know how to draw. I don't know how to draw. I can draw my own stuff, but I don't really know how to draw. Good example. That I was working with Craig McCracken on, on something one time. And I was trying to, I was trying to draw, I was trying to design this thing on my, on this one of these shorts I was doing. And, and Craig's this amazing draftsman. Like he just re- and understands drawing. Like you wouldn't believe and we're drawing. And he was dra- he was drawing the character. And I'm like, nah, it's too cartoony. And he's like, well, that's what you do. And I'm like, no, but and I'm drawing and I'm showing him. He's like, nah, I don't understand what you're doing. And I'm like, it's this. I want this. And he's like, oh, oh, I see. And he did this. Like he moved his hand and he's just like did this weird thing. And it was ex- <laughs> like almost exactly what I was drawing. And it was like, oh, I see what you're doing. And he's like, oh, this is kind of fun. Like, and I realized like I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm so, you know, like, it just makes, I don't know really how to draw. You know what I mean? Where, like, him, Chris Riccardi, Sherm, like, those guys know how to draw. They can choose, you know, they, they're in control of their drawing. And right. so they want it to look this way, or they want it to look that way, or they want it to look, they can do that. Like, I can't do that. I I, I say, oh, I'm going to try drawing like Wally Wood. I remember one time I was doing it with Sherm, I'm like, oh, I was trying to draw like Wally Wood. It looks like you. It doesn't look, like it so- doesn't this complete nerd question. When Craig McCracken draws, does it look like that UPI stuff or does he draw differently than UPA? UPA. He, I, I think, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what his natural drawing style is, but he, he can draw Craig. I think can, I mean, I've only seen him draw this and that, but I mean, I think Craig can draw whatever he wants, you know, like he, he likes that Powerpuff stuff, yeah. but he was drawing stuff for me that was not Powerpuffs and it was completely different. Then he was drawing, I've seen the new show that he's working on. Uh, working on is very inspired by um, Polly and her pals. That kind of look, okay, kind of George Harriman, but like a like a Polly and her pals kind of style. And yeah, I mean, it just it, the guy just isn't the guy just is in control of his drawing, you know. Which and like Sherm's the same way. Like I remember Sherm turned the corner. Like Sherm was always a really strong artist. He kind of had this Harvey Kurtzman kind of stuff. You saw his early comic book stuff. And then on SpongeBob, he like it clicked, and he just took off, and he and then you you could tell this guy's in control of his drawing, like he just went beyond everybody else, and you know, and, and you had I, no control over your drawing. Well, you know, and I know Sherm worked at it really hard. Yeah. I don't, Craig. I don't know. I don't know Craig. I don't know his working. I mean, I don't know him as long. And right. I'm I'm guessing with Craig, maybe he just was kind of born with this knowledge. I know Riccardi. Again, I don't know Riccardi as long as I've known these other guys. But I think I think Chris like Chris I think worked really hard, almost. I don't think he went to college. I think he's kind of self taught and be, and learned how to do this stuff. So I think you you know and Sherm I know like Sherm was just telling me the other day he was Sherm's gonna when his job is over he's gonna take a couple months off and he said he's gonna woodshed which he's just gonna go and he's gonna just work on his drawing some more and I mean I don't know where he's gonna go how much better he's gonna get but that's just something that he's interested in doing it you know where for me like. I just want to draw well enough to, to then tell a story, you know, yeah. like that's where I, that's where I feel like that's what the, that's the kind of stuff I really like working on and getting better at and thinking about. I mean, do you feel like you've become more of a writer slash joke writer than, than a cartoonist or you still see yourself cartoonist who writes and 
your contribution is i think i I think i've become a story guy like like truly a story guy which is an animation job you know in the comic book stuff you know what i mean like in a story guy in in a traditional sense of the word i think is a guy you know you look at those old warner brothers things or, or 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 Disney stuff like those are story guys. They they're they're not illustrators. They're guys who are telling a story and they're and they're puzzling out right those elements and and I, you know I don't have the need to draw like I used to have. Like I, I'm happy at work if I'm just spending the day in the edit bay and and talking about story with writers and talking about story with directors and and the, and the, and the story team. You know what I mean? And kind of giving them notes and working on things, letting other people draw. I I don't, I don't have the I don't. I don't feel the need to draw. I do feel the need to work the story out. You know, like that's where I get. You know, when the story clicks, you know, and you really feel like, you know, it just kind of works. You know, like that for me is the big satisfaction. You know, but it's not a writer. I'm not a writer. Right. You know, I'm not a. I'm definitely not a writer. It's. It's. I think it's a story, which is very vague. It's. It's. It's a little bit of writing, but it's more just. Uh, it's the. It's. It's the. Editing. It's filmmaking. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's filmmaking. It's... I mean, even the comic book, which you know, going back to that, like I. I do. I love like just puzzling out a story and making, you know, like, and it's just me, which is, which is really nice. I don't really, I don't really ever get that chance at work. So it's like, you know, I'll have a premise and Chris will give me some thoughts on it, but very hands off. And then just kind of starting on it and finding it and and drawing through it. And, you know, a lot of times I don't know what I'm going to do. And I just get to the drawing table and I just start drawing and I find it. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, that's really fun and satisfying. So it feels like I'm a cartoonist. Right, you know what I mean, but I'm not doing final art. But I guess I am doing some final yeah, art. Yeah, yeah, now you are. Um, which is which is really fun. But it's it's uh, yeah, it's just and it's fun getting published. Like seeing the stuff published is really fun. So yeah, it's it's a weird, it's weird. I mean, I don't know. No, you know. that actually answers the question that I hadn't asked, which is, you know, in, in the in the grass is always greener sense of things. Yeah, you know, there's so many cartoonists who, you know, there's that side idea like I'll do this comic, but maybe somebody will make it into a TV show, it'll get options, it'll become a bigger thing. And then, you know, you leave this comic book world behind and you're a guy who is going achieved, achieved a great deal of, of achievement, which is a ridiculous sentence. You know what <laughs> I mean? Success in your field. And you're finding the, the joy in, in just doing the comic, just writing and, yeah. and, and cranking out. Yeah. The I mean, I, the high creatively, my, the high point of my life, the two great, the two creative highlight points of my life at this moment are doing the SpongeBob comic and playing guitar. Like those are my two, those are the two things I look forward to the most. And when I have a moment, when I have my own, when I can do whatever I want to do, I usually play guitar. And then if I can, if, if I have some work to do in the weekend, like there's, I have no, I love getting up in the morning. My alarm goes off. I like getting up, coming down and working on the comic book. It's just something I enjoy spending the weekend drawing comic books. And you still have enough of a connection to the character of SpongeBob where you're not, you're not sick of him. You're not tired of it. You still find, I mean, obviously do you still come up with stories for him? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, 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 I had a break from SpongeBob for five or six years, you know, between the movie, helps. yeah, between the movie and when we started the comic book, and I had no interest in doing anything for the, you know, I I really felt like I was done with SpongeBob, and I mean, I had no bad feelings about it, but I just feel like, oh yeah, I'm ready, I'm yeah. really excited to do other things, and so when the when the opportunity came, I found it was very easy, like the characters are very clear and they're clear in my head, yeah, you know. And I know how to write a SpongeBob story. I know how to write a Squidward story. Like I know all the dynamics, and so it became. And the enjoyment of it came from like, okay, well, you know, Chris would say, "Hey, let's do a plankton story," and sometimes he'd give me a springboard or something. And then it's just like puzzling it out. And then these, you know, now we're doing these twenty pagers once in a while, and yeah. like those are fun. And they're like hard, but they're like they're interesting because like I just read like 
you know, I'll read the duck stories or I'll read Captain Easy and just kind of read through them and, and like, you know, just kind of find things that kind of trigger ideas and, and then just start going, you know, and, and, and they're, they're really fun. I, the night, the characters are done, you know, so I think that's why it's, it's enjoyable. And, right. So no, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel tired of it at all. You know, it's, it's, it's just kind of, I've sound so many of the night. It's like, I don't care who the characters are, you know, like it's, that's less important to me than puzzling out the story. And the character is just, okay, if he needs to walk across a room, SpongeBob would do it this way. But if like now I'm working on penguins at, at DreamWorks, it's like, well, if it, it was the main character of penguins, well, he would do it that way. Like it's, it's really just how the character, how your specific character would accomplish a goal. The goal is the same. And, right. and I think I find myself working in the same age group, you know, like I think about kids, I think about, being young, I think about you know things that are relatable to you as a kid, and I think it's related relatable as an adult because we all went through it, you know. So, so I, I feel like I try to tap into those moments. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, as long as the character's good and developed, um, I don't know. Maybe one day I'll get sick of it. I don't know, but I feel like I mean, I would like to. One thing I would like to do is I would like to do my own comic book with my own my own characters, not necessarily with the idea of making movie out of it. You know, just to get it out of your system. Just to do it, like just yeah. just to have something to do. I, I don't I don't feel the need to. I tell people, I was like, man, getting a show is not. It's not. I mean, I'm lucky that I, you know I don't. I'm working, and I don't. You know, I'm not like I'm not. Uh, you know, I don't need. I don't. You know, I'm not hoping for the for the ship to come in or anything. But it's like getting a show is not what it's always cracked up to be. You know, and it's not even. I mean, even that, it's not even like your all your financial dreams will come true. It's a job. You know? Yeah, you then you got to get another job when it's over and it's a lot of pressure. And it's like, and then you like, do you want to make something crappy? You know, that's another right. thing too. Like some people are driven to sell a show and it's like, okay, now you sold the show. So they got to make it. And like, what is that? Like, what are you making? Is that any good? Are you happy with that? Or maybe you are. I don't know. You know what I mean? It, it, it's not, um, I don't know. So I, like, I find all of it fascinating. Again, I'm, I'm a cartoonist guy who does the SpongeBob comics, and then there's that part. I mean, we've talked about this before. There's the part of me that wants to do my own thing, but yeah. there's the draw of, of a job, a job that pays. Yeah. And... I mean, I feel like I'm I'm lucky. I talk oh, about you're the... lucky. I know. Well, I know. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm lucky in the way that like but you I... worked hard. You didn't just like fall backwards into no. But I mean, it, there's career. definitely luck, and I mean, I've been going on. I've been working at it a long time, but you know, I don't I don't feel like that. I feel like that drive of i think having something is successful and it's really not even like not that it was mine but the work having the work you do you know the work that i did people talk about it like i get compliments about it all the time so yeah that itch was scratched you know yeah. r- really deeply so it's like okay good like i made like, again it's like i'm i know i know that my and again it's opinion is opinion you know what i mean like everybody's right everybody's opinion is right you know right. what i mean so when someone i have that confidence like okay i know i know i can make this work this way it doesn't have to be this way because that other person disagrees. So let's make it their way, and then and I'll try to make their idea work and as best I can. But the SpongeBob comics, I can just make them my own. I don't. I can, and it, which is also like it doesn't always work. You know, like I just I finished one not long ago. I'm like I don't think I ever got it. You know, but like the deadline was up, and it's like all right, I think I beat it enough, and you just let it go, and you hope you know. And that's was great. Like that's television. Like yeah, we'll go. We'll get it. We'll get it next time. You do. You do. You get another chance to. Do Never it. too precious. No, you can't be, you know? It's like sometimes you got to just let it go. Let it go and go on to the next one. Oh, wait till I start editing this. I'll never let it go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, you should cut it down to like 15 minutes. I was rambling. That would be amazing. All right, we'll stop rambling. Thank you, Derek. 
Yeah, I don't. I'm not pressuring you. I'm just no, saying. no. I'm not no, we'll probably keep talking after I stop recording. Oh, okay, but I'm All just right. like, we're closing this out. It's on. It's t- really don't go. <laughs> we'll close out this, guy, and then we'll start really talking. Then we'll really. Talking. I'll get you the yeah, the, the real scoopy doopy. <laughs> this is what Steve's really like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I was honored enough to finally meet him, and he's a perfectly nice man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's uh, yeah. I met him to... here where we are right now. That's right. Yeah, last summer. Right? Yeah, that was awesome. That was fun. That was great. All right, see, that's the stuff we'll talk about off the. Nobody else needs to know that. No one cares. Yeah. That's our private business. A picnic talk. (laughs) Post picnic talk. Thank you, Derek. See ya. And and we did have some picnic talk. Actually, uh, Derek and I talked for for a good while after that stuff you don't get to hear. Sorry, gang. But like I said, he's a great guy to talk to. I hope you enjoyed that conversation that I had with Derek. So normally at this point in the show, I'd run through a whole bunch of stuff of how to reach me, the website, blah, blah, blah. And I think a show or two ago I mentioned that you know I really should just record all that and, and drop it in. So, so check this out. All Stuff Said episodes, applicable links to the guests, and bonus materials can be found at StuffSaidShow.com, where you can also comment on episodes. You can email the show at StuffSaid at gmail.com, and you can follow Stuff Said on Twitter at StuffSaidShow. Episodes are available on iTunes, where I encourage you to subscribe, rate the show, and leave reviews to help others discover it. Stuff Said is part of the Acme Wave Projector Network at AcmeWaveProjector.com. The theme song for Stuff Said was composed and performed by Craig Chin. You can find him at RudeAnagrams.com. For more about me, Greg Schiegel, visit Hatter Entertainment. That's H-A-T-T-E-R, entertainment, all one word, dot com. How's that? How's that for some professional grade show information dump? So that, that'll be a thing so that these closing segments won't be me rambling on about all that stuff. It'll all be nicely contained in a tight, uh, tight package. But I guess that means I'm going to have to come up with other stuff to talk about after the conversation that you just listened to to make it worth your while to keep listening uh, for all I know nobody listens to this part after the thing is done I, I I hope you do though I hope you listen all the way through to the very 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 end that's about all the stuff I have left to say I'll see you next time rambling just you no, know, no, feel free because I, I can talk for like hours. it's you might think you're rambling but i'm hearing it i'm being like i know this like my friends that listen i'm like this guy's gonna love this oh good like, he's gonna eat this up because it's a real conversation mm. oh good did you read the one we did a big interview with the spongebob uh I, I i did and i'm, I'm oh, this that's what this reminds me of i'm bit. i'm pissed that i didn't reread it before this because uh, it would have refreshed me on a lot oh, of yeah, stuff yeah. but i also didn't want to talk only about spongebob mm-hmm. which we're not doing which is good yeah that's fine i don't i'm, I'm whatever you want to talk about it. I'm, la 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 la